God is a question of God's nature and God's character. There are many gods in the world. But as we're exploring the topic of which God do we worship, we want to follow along. We need to follow along this path of discipleship that we've been talking about. Pastor Larry introduced it several weeks ago. And that's the path of going from being curious to being convinced to being committed. Now, I know which God I worship, but am I just convinced or am I committed or am I somewhere in between? For people that may have heard about Jesus, maybe they're just curious. Maybe that's where they are. Maybe they're curious on their way to being convinced. You know, they've read a little bit. The Holy Spirit's been stirring them and they're starting to check God out. Maybe that's where they're at. But we need to be dedicated to following this path and to help people along this path from being curious to being convinced to being committed. So as we're exploring which God do we worship, we're looking at the nature and the character of God. We need to make sure that we do that, uh, that we carry that message of who God is. What is God's nature? What is God's character? Who is the God that we worship? As we introduce our God to people, we need to be careful to help them be committed. First Peter verses 3, 15 and 17. Start off with, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That starts with sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts. Make sure you're right with God. Get into his word. Be dedicated to prayer. We're in three days of fasting and prayer. How about you fast? How about you pray? How about you get into his word? It's a real opportunity for you to see miracles, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. Because as we fast and pray, the spirit rises and the flesh becomes less. Hallelujah. And your ability to perceive and know and hear from God becomes even greater. Hallelujah. It puts great pressure on the enemy, on the lives of the enemy, not only in your life, but in the lives of those whom you know. So make sure you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, but always be ready. So hopefully today is going to help you to be ready to give a defense of what it is you believe when people ask. You need to be in relationship with people for them to ask. They need to be able to observe Christ in your life. They need to be able to see that you actually believe what it is that you say that you believe. And then they're going to ask questions. It means you've got to be out there. It means you've got to be open. Pull out your earbuds on the train. Walk in to Safeway prayerfully, not just with a basket and a hit list of stuff you've got to pick up so you can get to the checkout, so you can get back to your car, so you can get home and do this on the couch. Sorry, do this, because you got the remote. But when we do this, we need to do this with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You're going to face criticism, just accept it. You're going to face blowback, just accept it. Christ went through it. He said, expect it. Let's throw away this lollipop Christian theology that if we just tell everybody that God is really good and he loves you, they're just going to get all gooey and give us a great big hug and come to church with us this next Sunday. Now they're going to push back on that. And that's good for you because it tests what you really believe. It develops character inside of you. God wants to develop character inside of you. Whose character? His character. 
Long-suffering, patience. Why do we need that? Hallelujah. We need it so we can witness, so we can be living epistles. Hallelujah. It goes on to say, for it is better if it is the will of God for you to suffer for doing good uh, than for doing evil. You might suffer for sharing the gospel with people. You might lose your job. You might get fired. You might get kicked out. You might get shunned. You might get yelled at. You might even lose your life over it. That's the risk our brothers and sisters around the world are losing their lives for following Jesus. The testimonies coming out of the Middle East and parts of Africa are that they do not deny Christ all the way to the finish line. Even though if they did, they would walk away with their life. They don't deny. So when we look at which God, we're going to do what Oz Guinness, I love Oz Guinness. Um, he's a fantastic theologian. He said, contrast is the mother of clarity. So today we're going to contrast our belief, our God, our book. We're going to contrast it with that of another faith, one that's really come up in this generation, one that's really come in to Australia. And it's a real opportunity for us. Let's face it, we spend our own money to go to the mission field. How about the mission field coming to you? Are you ready for it? I think that's a freebie. I, I think that's good. That should be a line item in somebody's budget somewhere. Amen? That's a good thing. They move into your neighborhood, next door to your house. What are you going to do? Hallelujah. I want to give them Jesus. How about you? I want to give them Jesus that they would know my Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah. That they would experience him. I want to take you to the place. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And three, the three Abrahamic faiths, or what they called Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, are represented in this picture. Now on the western wall, we've got the Jews who pray there daily, the Wailing Wall. And that's down at the base of the Temple Mount. And then we have the Dome of the Rock there in the middle. That's a Muslim mosque. But where do we see Christianity in this picture? Well, we, we don't really see it with our eyes. Let's zoom in a little bit closer. That's the Wailing Wall. You can see the Dome of the Rock in the background. Next, we see a close-up of the Dome of the Rock with some Arabic writing around uh, the outside of it. This Arabic writing speaks to Christianity. It speaks to us. In this Arabic writing, it denies the existence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it denies the deity of Jesus Christ. When people say this whole Chrislam thing, you know, the Christianity and Islam, well, we worship the same God, I'm going to put to you that the answer to that is no, we do not. Because that right there, I deny the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I deny the deity of Jesus Christ. What have I got? Well, I have no hope. I am a, you would be looking at a man without hope. Hallelujah. So this is summed up uh, in what's called takbir. So in Islam, takbir in Arabic, uh, you've all heard it, Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar means, they'll tell you it means God is great. It can also be translated as God is greater. Allah is greater. Greater than whom? 
greater than all the other gods, greater than the God of the Christians. Winifred Cordouan puts it this way, anything that could conceivably, conceivably be construed as detracting from the greatness, God's greatness, Allah's greatness, must be considered to be false or even offensive. So when you look at takbir, Allah is greater. It is the seed at the center of their faith. The greatness of God is paramount to Islam. And yet as we compare and contrast Islam and Christianity today, you're going to see that our God is greater. Our God is way greater. And I'm not going to sit here and just boast about it. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show it to you. So when we look at the question of which God, and we're going from curious to convinced to committed, we need to make sure that we are actually caring for our Muslim neighbors. I don't want anyone to think that this message is about not caring for our Muslim neighbors. As a matter of fact, it's about caring for them far more than anyone could ever imagine. Because for the Christian, you must understand that with many Muslims, for you to share your faith, to share about Jesus Christ with them, is to put them in a position where they need to follow what the Quran says and put you to death for doing that. Do you understand that? There's a big difference between Christianity and Islam. But we need to care for them. Greater love has no man than he would lay down his life. I believe we should be ready in this generation to risk our lives in the West as Christians for our Muslim neighbor, that they would know Christ, that they would know the freedom available through the cross. But let's count the price. There's a price for our Muslim friend, too. And that price is that of honor and shame. For us as Christians, it's about truth versus falsehood, the truth of God's word and the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy. But for our Muslim neighbor, coming to faith in Christ becomes the line that they have to cross is one with honor and shame. They can lose absolutely everything, including their lives. So we need to be aware of that. Sharing your faith with a Muslim, with your Muslim neighbor, needs to be a commitment to break bread, spend time, actually care for them. Because there can come a time where they're going to ask in their heart, when I give my life to Jesus and I declare him to be my Lord and Savior, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Because my family's going to reject me. I'm going to lose everything that I ever valued, everything that I was raised in. I'm going to lose all of it. Where are you going to be? They need to see that you're actually lovingly committed for the long haul. You see, for the Muslims, the answers aren't hard to find. The answers are hard to accept. In the end, just before they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the answers are not hard to find. They're just simply hard to accept because of honor, because of shame. And we need to care about that. Amen? Amen. We need to care about that. So let's look at the objections to Christianity. Let's look at what they are. So let's start from Islam's position. What is it that they object to about Christianity, about Jesus, about the Bible? Well, the first thing, they object to the Trinity, which we've shared. They also object to the incarnation. 
that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, that God would be in Christ is a problem. The cross, that God would submit to being tortured by his creation, by his creatures that he created. And the Bible, because of all of that, they believe the Bible has been corrupted. That's their starting position. In the Trinity, the issue with the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the objection is that God has no partners. That's what the Quran tells them. In the Incarnation, the objection to the Incarnation actually comes down to why would God stoop to that level to be born as a baby? You know what babies do, don't you? What are newborn babies good at? Well, they're good at crying and screaming, and they're good at making some bad smells. That's considered to be degrading to even think that God would stoop to that level. Funny to us, but it is a stumbling block to them. And much of their objection to the incarnation is on that basis that God would not condescend uh, to that level. So when we look at which God and we contrast uh, Christianity and Islam, we need to know our God. Who is our God? Well, our God is a relational God. The God of Islam is taught that he is far away and removed, not accessible, and that he is not knowable. Our God is knowable. And we not only declare that, but we can prove it. It's all through our book from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Our God wants to be known, is capable of being known. Hallelujah. Our God is love, and he is loving. Amen. Our God is love, and we can prove it. The suffering, they have a problem with suffering. Islam has a problem with that God would come and actually suffer. But for us, it is the great, one of the greatest proofs that God is great. You know, the takbir, Allah is greater. No, no, no. Yahweh is greater. Hallelujah. Because he was able to come and live as we do and suffer as we do and do it without sin. There's a weakness in the Quran and in the teachings of Islam, and it uh, surrounds the concept of original sin, that we're all fallen. Christianity excels at this because Christ was all about this, because the Old Testament, when it spoke about Christ, spoke about that he was going to come and deal with original sin. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Our God is relational, he's knowable, he is loving, and our God is holy. More than 100 times in our Bible, God is declared and described and shown to be holy. Only two times in the Quran is holiness ever mentioned in the same sentence with Allah. Now our God is holy, holy, holy. Amen? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. So let's look at our God being relational. Our God is relational. Islam, as I told you, Allah is distant and remote. The only Quranic description of the relationship between God and man that you can pull out of the Quran is that of master and slave. Iran is one of, uh, Islam is one of the greatest purveyors of slavery around the world. 
You see it. Christianity addresses the issue of slavery by giving instruction to the born-again, spirit-filled person whose form of employment is that of slavery. God teaches them to love their master, to bless their enemy, that even their master might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We could do a whole teaching on slavery in the Bible. It's not what people think it is. When people say that the Bible teaches slavery, no, it doesn't. God is as interested in a person who is born into slavery as he is into the free man who's born into a wealthy family. He wants all to know salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There's no one excluded from Christianity. There's no one excluded from the love of God and ultimately the holiness of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Our God is relational. John 15, 15, he declares us friends. Oh, hallelujah. In Revelation 21, 3, talks to us about God dwelling with man. You know, in the end, when everything is finally finished, when God has made an end of sin, when it's finished, and the heavens are rolled away like a scroll, and all things are made new, God's dwelling place will be with us. Another name for Jesus is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Hallelujah. God is with us right now. He was inhabiting our praises as we worship this morning. Hallelujah. If you've been born again, he was indwelling you. Hallelujah. As you walked in this morning and someone greeted you at the front door, it was Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 A relational God. A relationship that changes things, that transforms. Our God is knowable. In Islam, Allah cannot be known, and he does not reveal himself. He will not reveal himself. For Christianity, we have the book of Revelation, and the apocalypsis, the great pulling back of the curtain. Check it out, Jesus in all of his glory. Jesus eternal. Hallelujah. Righteous, loving, merciful, kind. Our God is knowable. In Christianity, you can go Exodus 3, God in the burning bush. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. We can boast in the fact that we know him. Don't boast in your riches, your skills, your abilities. Boast in the fact that you know God. Hallelujah. Our God is knowable. Next slide. Our God is love. Our God is love. Islam has one declaration in the 99 names that they ascribe to God, that God is loving, but there is no proof in the Quran or any of its teachings or any of the teachings of Islam that God is remotely loving. It is not a characteristic of Allah. Our God is love, and it's provable. In 1 John verse four, chapter 4, verse 16, it declares that God is love. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love. You can go and read these for yourselves. It is all through scripture. Our God is holy. In Islam, the word for holy is kudus. It's only used twice. But in Surah chapter 3, verse 54, we see the character of this God. 
not so holy. Allah is the greatest deceiver. It declares boldly in Surah 3:54, and it declares it in line with Surah 4, verse 157, about the crucifixion, that that was Allah deceiving us, that Christ was never crucified. They not only object to Christ being crucified, that God would come and do that, but they declare that it never happened. And when you sit down face to face with Muslims who know their stuff, they're going to declare that the crucifixion never happened. But in Christianity, God's declared to be holy more than 100 times. And Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 declares that God's eyes are pure, that he can't even look upon sin. So what God came and did in the incarnation of Christ, coming and living as we do, he came and he saw our sin. He saw all of it. He experienced it. And he took all of it to the cross. It was because he saw you and me beyond the cross, through the cross, today, worshiping free, liberated from our sins, hallelujah, being transformed daily from glory to glory. He saw us. And he saw us in eternity pure, clean, white, without blemish or stain, hallelujah, glorified in his presence, worshiping him for all eternity in closest union with him, communion with him. Our God is holy. The crucifixion, what would be declared to have been the deception in the eyes of Islam, for us is God's love and holiness demonstrated clearly. It is the greatest act of love and holiness, the greatest expression of it. Why is it the greatest expression of it? Because Christ didn't come to die for those who loved him. He came to die for his enemies. While you and I were still enemies. I could die for somebody who loved me. I think it would be fairly easy. I don't know that I could die for my enemy, but I think in the moment, if I had to, I would. But a little of us needs to die if we're going to witness to Muslims effectively. We need to be committed. I hope I'm moving you from convinced to committed today. I hope I'm shifting you in that direction, for that must for truly be our momentum in discipleship, in teaching, and what we do from this pulpit, and what we do in our prayer time, and what we do during fasting and prayer. We need to be shifting from convinced to being committed. Islam rejects the Trinity, the Incarnation, and the Atonement. It rejects those three things. Islam rejects these things because it rejects, because it rejects that God is relational. It rejects that God is knowable. It rejects that God is loving. And ultimately, it does not declare or prove God's holiness. Christianity does. Our Bible does. Jesus does. Amen. Our God is a relational and knowable God. He's holy. 700 years, 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah the prophet declared, in chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. Listen to this. And he will be called 
wonderful counselor. Say it with me, wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When I receive justice, it must be from a righteous God, hallelujah. One who is holy, who is loving, who is demonstrably merciful, hallelujah. We believe Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, that God is knowable, loving, and holy. It says, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If you're going to boast, boast in this, that you know God, that he is a knowable God and you've experienced him, that you know that I am the Lord God, exercising loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight says the Lord. Our God truly delights, and we can experience him. We believe in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. A knowable God, a love that is eternal, a love that is knowable, a love that is truly relational. That is our God. We believe in 1 John 5, verses 11 to 12. It says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. When Islam denies the deity of Christ, they shut off the only way to salvation for them. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth, the life, and the way. He declared it of himself. There is no other way. When, if we get lulled into allowing our Muslim friends to believe that their pathway also leads to God, we're handing them over. We're handing them to, over to something that is, is dark, something that is wrong. I hope this is convicting you a little bit. It's important for us to understand that we must share the gospel in this day, in this generation. It's not optional. It is not optional. Sharing the truth of what you've experienced is not optional. God doesn't have a class of people who share the gospel and another class of Christians who don't have to. There's no such thing. It does not exist. In some churches, they believe that, well, the pastors, do you think the pastors are out running the highways and the byways, seeking who we, we may find and preaching the gospel to them? Now, we're meant to be here a power, empowering and equipping the saints so that you can go and do it. Don't get me wrong, I do it. I do it all the time. I love it. I get so much out of it. And sometimes I get sourpuss faces. And sometimes I get people that are curious and I can see it. I get people who will catch up with me because they heard about a conversation I had with someone else. You start casting those seeds out onto the, the, the field. You start casting those seeds out. Something's going to grow. Something's going to grow. You got a field, and you got a field, and you got a field, and I got a field, 
You're responsible for your field. Amen? Take ownership of it. God gave it to you. Do you think that was a mistake? God doesn't make mistakes. You've been called for just such a time as this. It's time we get on with it. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I realize they built a big, beautiful golden dome and a rock, and there's a lot of money invested in that, and that is the most important piece of real estate on the planet. You wonder where we are in God's prophetic timeline is for his plan of restoration and salvation of humanity. Well, Jerusalem is God's timepiece. But that golden dome that sits up there, the dome of the rock, is the axis on which that timepiece rotates. Amen? It's critical. And what it says about Christianity is a challenge to our faith. I think it's a challenge we need to take up. They clearly have a question about the deity of Jesus Christ. Let us answer it. Amen? Let us answer it with great love and great compassion, but also great conviction and great commitment. Let us do that. Let us not shy away from that conversation. For our God is truth. We believe. John 17, verse 3. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is our gospel. This is our message. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. We shouldn't shy away from it. We need to actually take it out to the world. For Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. There's no other way for salvation to happen. There is no other way. Amen? Good intentions will not get people into heaven. Hell's going to be populated with good people in quotation marks. Yeah, that sounds a little bit funny, but it's not funny. It's not funny. This whole label of, of I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. We need to finish it. I'm a good person. And you're doomed without Christ. I'm a good person. You're in need of a Savior. If you truly believe that you're a good person, you've deceived yourself. Because you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Hallelujah. I don't say that with hate in my heart. So when we look at our God... I like the way N.T. Wright actually puts it. I think he cuts through it. N.T. Wright's a theologian in Britain. If you start with a kind of absent landlord kind of God, or the God of Islam, or one of the New Age gods, or even one of the gods of ancient paganism, and ask, what would happen if such a God were to become human? You would end up with a figure very different from the one in the Gospels. But... If you start with the God of Genesis, the God of Exodus, of Isaiah, of creation and covenant of the Psalms, and ask what that God might look like were he to become human, you would find that he would look very much like Jesus of Nazareth. A God who is relational, knowable, loving, kind, merciful, hallelujah. All the characteristics of the God that we worship, the God that we see in the Old Testament is the same God who came and walked among us, who said he's the truth, the life, and the way that no one comes to the Father except through him. 
Oh, same God. Hallelujah. Merciful and kind. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Our God. Our God. Hallelujah. Our God. There was a sermon in 1940, just as World War II was gearing up. And I'll start to wrap with this. By a James Stewart. It was called The Strong Name. I want to read it to you. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go back to 1940 with everything that was happening there. Let's do a little time travel. Shut your eyes. The very triumph of his foes he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievement to serve his ends, not theirs. They nailed him to the tree not knowing that by the very act that they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make a throne of it. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment that they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king of glory come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God with his back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. Christ conquered through it. Hallelujah. And when people come to criticize us in the way of our faith, to criticize Christ, even the criticisms of Islam, it is God that has drawn them to us. Make no mistake, the Muslim who will argue with you is a Muslim that God has drawn to you. Are you ready with that answer? Have you sanctified, set aside the Lord God in your heart? Have you studied to show yourself approved? This podcast, all the notes, all the references are going to be available. We emailed it out last week. We're going to do it again this week. You're getting everything that you need to grow in your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It means that faith begins to stir within you. Faith to do what? Faith to share the gospel and to live it daily. Amen. Get into the word. These next three days are critical. I want to see you here tonight. I want to see you here tomorrow night. I want to see you here the next night. Do what you can. Make it happen because miracles can happen now because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus is wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. Hallelujah. Scripture declares it, and we should too. I want to close with this from Blaise Pascal. I hope this helps you. I hope this addresses that speed bump that you have. We all have it in sharing our faith. There's a speed bump. Should I? There's a speed bump. Is it going to be okay? There's a speed bump. Am I up to this? Am I clear on what I believe? What if I'm not convincing? Don't worry about that. It says, when men despise Christianity, they hate it and are afraid of it and are afraid that it may be true. I want you to understand that. That is true. People aren't afraid of the gospel because they think it's ridiculous. They're afraid of the gospel because deep within them they're afraid that it may be true. They're afraid it may be true. Well, boo, it is. The cure for this is to first show that Christianity is not contrary to reason. 
but worthy of reverence and respect. You conduct yourself with reverence and respect. You speak lovingly, kindly about a God who is relational and knowable, and you share your testimony. You don't have to be able to quote scripture. Share your testimony. What is your experience being? When I run up against someone who's just the harshest critic, I tell them what happened to me that night. You know what? It leaves them speechless, and they don't know what to do with it. And I know I just planted the biggest, dirtiest seed in the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. And I mean that playfully. It is the biggest, most pure, and most beautiful seed in the kingdom of darkness, and they walk away with it. I know I've just caused someone to lose sleep because the Holy Spirit's going to work on them. Next, make it attractive. We do not worship a ho-hum God. I don't know if you were here for worship this morning. We do not worship a ho-hum God. We worship a God we can get excited about. Can I get an amen? Can I hear somebody shout, somebody, come on. Uh, yes, hallelujah. Oh, we worship a God who's attractive. Oh, hallelujah. Good looking in every way. <laughs> amen. Make good men wish it were true and show them that it is. Oh, we can make people wish that it was true. And when you've got them there, well, you've got them because it is true. And all you got to do is show it to them. Hallelujah. All you got to do is show it to them. This is not complex. But it all hangs back on 1 Peter chapter 3. If we can go back there, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone. Not some people. Always be ready, not occasionally be ready. Who ask you for the reason for the hope that's in you. You got to be in people's lives for that to happen. So get in people's lives. Get engaged with them. Hallelujah. We worship a relational, knowable, loving, and holy God. And our God is greater. When they declare Allah, Akbar, no, no. We can say Yeshua is greater. Our God is greater. Greater love hath no man. So hallelujah. I hope that's blessed you today. It was more of a teaching than a preaching. But did you get anything out of it? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I just want to pray for you just real quick. Just bow your heads. Actually stand. Stand and let's bow our heads. Let's bow our hearts. We're going to close in a song of worship, but I want to pray for you first. If while we're worshiping you need prayer, you feel free to come on up. We'll be happy to pray for you. If this message has challenged you, we'll be happy to hear from you and pray for you. We'll have the prayer team up here. Pastors will be available. Just let me pray for everybody now. If you would say, Lord, give me this courage to live this way, to do this. Give me this courage. And you would say, God, give me opportunity to speak to the right one. And if you would say tonight, today, that God, give me the words to speak to their heart by your Holy Spirit, Come and guide me as I speak to them, Lord, that I would see before my eyes the transformation of someone saved. 
If that's what's in your heart today, just lift your hands. I'm not looking. Just, just lift your hands. Let's just lift in worship as I pray. Agree with me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for sending your son. Hallelujah. We thank you for giving us the name Jesus, the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue, every knee, all things bow, every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We declare it today. Lord, we commit. We commit, Lord, before you today. We commit to setting aside, setting you aside in our hearts, sanctifying you in our hearts to set you aside, Lord. Set you aside in that special place. Give you permission to wake us at night, to speak to us in every moment of the day, Lord, to guide us, to change our plans and our daily planners, Lord, to inject purpose into every moment, Lord, of every day, Lord. Lord, we ask for wisdom and we ask for courage. We ask that as we look into your word that a greater faith would grow within each heart, within each one with their hands raised, Lord, that a greater courage would come, a greater faith that faith would go from glory to glory, Lord. Lord, we lift up our Muslim neighbors to you. We thank you for bringing them to our community, Lord. We thank you for bringing them in amongst us, Lord. We thank you that this is all according to your purpose and all according to your plan. We deny the plans of men, Lord, and we declare your plan. Hallelujah. We declare that we will prosper in this season, that we will see many added by your Holy Spirit to your church. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you praise.